ClickZ podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. When you have this type of transparency, there are fewer places for fraudsters to take advantage of the lack of transparency and therefore you'll see fraud fall. This is the ClickZ Digital Marketing Podcast and I'll be talking to Eric Bosany from Pubmatic about online display advertising and how marketers can ensure that we're getting access to high quality advertising inventory and not becoming victims of ad fraud. Eric Bosany is the Director of Inventory Quality at Pubmatic, where he focuses on leading initiatives to increase and improve transparency in the advertising supply chain. Eric has 21 years of experience within ad operations and inventory quality, having previously served as Director of Trust and Safety at UMI, Program Manager of Search Advertising Fraud Policy and Strategy at Microsoft, and Director of Media Technology Services at Aquantive. So Eric, it's great to have you here on the ClickSee podcast today. Uh, thank you for joining us. And we're going to be getting into a number of different topics. But one of those is ad fraud. And it's a, an area which I think a lot of people listening today will have dealt with over the years. It's something which isn't new, but it's getting increasingly more sophisticated. Just to start us off, whether you could give us a little bit of background on you uh, and your career and how you've seen ad fraud emerge and develop through the years that you been working in this field. Well, hi, Tim. First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. appreciate being here. I started my digital marketing career 20 years ago at a little agency called Avenue in Seattle. I worked ad ops. And in 2006, a old boss from uh, Avenue who was a GM at Microsoft said, Eric, can you come over? And we've got this thing about ad fraud. We don't know anything about that we should probably do something about. So I went over to Microsoft. And at the time, this was pre-Bing. It was Microsoft Search before the Bing branding had occurred. And uh, at the time, the type of fraud that they had to deal with since they were owned and operated were advertisers trying to outclick each other on each other's ads so they could get at the top of the search results. It was very quaint. It was a very different type of ad fraud than we see today. And uh, the first taste I got of today's uh, ta- uh, you know, flavor of ad fraud occurred after Bing was created. And Microsoft went into a 10-year co-marketing deal with Yahoo where uh, Yahoo would show Bing search results. And with that deal came all this uh, third-party syndication content and advertising. And with that came just this tidal wave of ad fraud. And it was at that point I quickly learned, uh, eventually learned the Latin phrase, but qui bono is who benefits. When you have someone benefiting, fraud just explodes. When you have someone benefiting that isn't an obvious uh, party, uh, fraud will explode. So I did that uh, at Microsoft. I led a customer-facing forensic investigation team. Uh, and then I moved to a company called Yumi uh, for a short time. And, and now I'm at Pubmatic, head of all of uh, inventory quality. Fantastic. So you've got a really uh, in-depth insight there into how the industry has evolved over those last 20 years. What would you say have been the, the key reasons that it's had to innovate, the ad fraud industry has had to innovate over those last 20 years? Well, in terms of ad fraud, it really blew up with programmatic. Uh, I saw this a little bit at Microsoft with ad quality of all things, is we would see uh, drive-by malware occur on a Bing search. And, and the problem was, unless you saw it forensically in the wild, you have no idea where it came from. You couldn't trace it back to its origins. And in the same way programmatic, uh, there's so many 
hops and such a daisy chain with programmatic, so many layers that ad fraudsters could easily find ways to insert themselves and really ramp up their activity. Yeah, and that's something which we can definitely all relate to, that um, programmatic has become so much more sophisticated in its own way. But often as a, as a client buying advertising, you're really um, no longer getting the visibility, the transparency on how that advertising um, dollar is being spent on, on inventory. And I think that's a topic we'll, we'll get back into later. But programmatic has, has made things a lot murkier. Who do you think then has been the player or players who have been trying to make online advertising more transparent over the last few years? I think the first group of companies that came in and recognized an opportunity were the third-party vendors, where uh, the, the fraud tech, as I call it, uh, fraud detection companies. Five years ago, you maybe had a couple of them, but I would not put it past saying that it's probably a billion-dollar-a-year industry with fraud detection. And the reason for that is simple, is for the point you made, the murkiness of, of the ecosystem. Uh, there's so much fraud that buyers hear about. Uh, of course, Mark Pritchard at Procter & Gamble made his big speech a few years back uh, talking about clean up the ecosystem, uh, that it was just a prime opportunity for them. Uh, you also have the rise of you know programmatic guarantee, the rise of PMPs uh, that sort of came out of this programmatic soup. And they're all attempts to get some more, wrestle some more control out of this uh, this big industry, obviously, and uh, to to better understand what uh, buyers are buying. That's given us a really good bit of context here on how the world of ad fraud has developed over the last couple of decades. I mean, not only can we now see the, the problem, but we can also see some of the solutions that have been put in place. Um, now I'd like to sort of move on to getting into ad fraud a little bit more because you're an expert in ad fraud. And for our audience who are listening to this, a lot of them will be marketing directors or senior marketing people who are maybe in charge of buying media through agencies or maybe they're buying it direct and in housing. But the challenge they're having is they really need to understand how ad fraud works and specifically what they can do about it to, to stop it's ha it happening. So I wonder whether we could start off by maybe, so could you give us a, an overview of the most common forms of ad fraud out there? Sure, you can start with two big groups general invalid traffic and sophisticated invalid traffic. And these are two terms that are part of the uh, MRC certification process that are generally referred to. GIVT is, is, um, is best associated with um, devices. It's best associated with or thought of if you have lists, uh, blacklists um, of IPs, of user agents to avoid. Um, in fact, that's how, that's how we look at it at Pubmatic. GIVT are um, a block list. It's the first line of defense uh, of fraud. But that said, because they are just lists, uh, the bad guys can easily just use different uh, IP addresses and different user agents. So GIVT by itself isn't, isn't very informative. SIVT is probably the more talked about portion of ad fraud. It refers to a sophisticated invalid traffic and is a catch-all bucket for fraud that doesn't really fit the GIVT mold. It's the sophisticated fraud, it's the, it's the bot fraud, it's the bot nets, it's the one by one, uh, you know, hidden frames on a page. Uh, it's, it's what the fraud vendors have uh, risen up to address. The MRC, uh, in fact, unlike viewability, where you actually have a definition and you can measure uh, what a, a view looks like, with fraud, you can't, there's no definition of what a fraudulent impression is. 
it would be ridiculous to try because there's so many, even now, unthought ways of doing it that you, if, you, if you define something now, the definition would be out the door tomorrow. So what the MRC, MRC does, and that's the Merchant uh, uh, Media Ratings Council, excuse me, is they, they define, a, you have to fit a process, you have to prove you have a process which includes data science invariably to uh, look at activity, uh, look at traffic, and figure out ways you can probabilistically determine if an impression is more likely to be human or not. And that's sort of the, the high level definition of it. Thanks very much. So we've got the general um, invalid traffic and the sophisticated invalid traffic. Now by its description, sophisticated in invalid traffic, I mean some of the, the um, types of fraud there, I'm thinking of things like Methbot and Eve, those have been incredibly sophisticated worldwide organizations with millions if not billions of pounds being spent just on developing those because they can make even more money from them. Um, how can the industry hope to tackle those and, and do you think we've kind of reached a, a level where we, we are tackling it yet or is there, are we still playing catch up? That's a great question and, and I see it very differently. If you look at these, the, the EVE investigation, if you look at these research uh, papers brought out by various uh, you know, security uh, companies as well as uh, fraud detection companies, they want you, they focus on the MO, on how it's being done. But if you'll notice, almost every case, they will not share where the money changes hands. And, and to, to, to bring it back, my point is, or my view is, you've got to focus on who benefits from fraud. How they do it is irrelevant in the long term. And what this leads to is transparency, supply transparency, visibility, knowing where your ad runs. Uh, these kind of concepts that are easy to, to, to do but hard to execute because you need trade bodies involved, you need everybody to agree. So for example, in the EVE investigation, one thing, I was leafing through that and they got into great detail and it was very amazing and a good, good fireside read, but they didn't talk about where the money changed hands the most important part because these guys who ran the botnets out of the data centers, they had to connect into the ecosystem somewhere in programmatically to generate the funds the, to, to, to take that revenue that buyers have paid, have dumped into uh, programmatic. But they don't talk about that. Nobody talks about it. And, you know, and it's maybe cons conspiracy theory, but they don't want to talk about it because it benefits them to continue to find fraud, but not necessarily solve fraud. That's where the revenue comes from. If you are an advertiser now, you're hearing that, and you're thinking about, well, hold on, that's my ad dollar, which is going into um, paying for some of these these organizations. What do you think they should be doing to try and get more accountability from the way their ad dollars are being spent? Best way is, is transparency. And there's been a few uh, initiatives over the past, very short time, past couple of years. The first one that really made a difference was ads.txt. And ads.txt is a file that a, uh, a site that accepts programmatic advertising uh, puts on their, they post it as a text file. So it might be, for example, clickzcom slash ads.txt. And on that, on that file, ClickZ, in this example, will list all the resellers they authorize to sell their inventory. And the reason this was so important and the problem it solved for was before then, it, it, and still is, easy to, technically, easy to spoof uh, the source of an inventory. So, for example, New York Times, uh, everyone in the United States, for example, wants to advertise the New York Times, but inventory is limited, it's expensive, but when they see it programmatically somewhere in Opportunity New York Times, they think, oh, this is great, I'm going to go for it. But in fact, what's happening is it's not New York Times, but it's another site or app that is 
that is inserting the New York Times into the bid stream so it looks like the New York Times. They had no mechanism to know before ads.txt if, if that was legitimate or not. And so with ads.txt, and this is all done machine-wise programmatically, but you can go to the file and see, hey, I, I'm buy, I want to buy New York Times. Pubmatic claims they can sell it. Has New York Times authorized Pubmatic to sell it? And either they have or they haven't, they'll have that entry there. So that solved uh, one of two big problems. The first one is domain smoothing. The second problem that it really cut into was arbitrage, valueless arbitrage, where you know, New York Times inventory could be bought, even if it's true New York Times inventory, then it's resold like three times through maybe a couple SSPs, multiple hops, as I like to refer to it as. So by the time it gets to the buyer, uh, one, there's been money added, the cost has increased with no value added. And at any one of those hops, any opportunity, there's, there's motivation, again, who benefits from fraud to inject, uh, whether it's bots or additional visits or some way to inflate the inventory, therefore they gain more revenue from the buyer. So that was ads.txt, that was the first thing. Second thing just happened this year, it was app ads.txt. It was the equivalent, but for mobile app inventory. And the reason that was so important is, I think even more critical, unlike a domain where you can actually type in clickz.com and you can see what's there with an app, you really just have to download it. That's the only way you can see what the content's going on in an app. And furthermore, you don't know what's going on inside the app. There's multiple SDKs, there's most multiple sets of code running, and, and quite frankly, you don't know if they're spoofing or not unless you can look inside the code. It's, it's, very, diff it's very difficult with mobile app inventory. So to just wrap this, the second part up before we can jump in uh, to the third part, which I think is the most important, uh, with mobile app ads.txt, uh, I thought it would be slow for adoption because most app developers are new to programmatic generally. They're used to doing direct deals or, or uh, you know, rewarded video deals. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of programmatic experience and they may not have seen the success of ads.txt, but uh, you know, on the Pubmatic platform, even now, about 70% of our uh, mobile app revenue uh, spend runs through authorized uh, authorized apps that have authorized, uh, you know, resellers. And even though only 35% of total unique apps on our platform have appads.txt files. So what this tells me is that buyers are going, they, they've learned their lesson, and they're moving their spend towards uh, authorized um apps with authorized app ads.txt files. Maybe if I was looking at this from a perspective of a smaller advertiser, um, what can they do? Who should they actually go and um, say to, hey, you need to get ads.txt ads in place or app ads.txt uh, in place? Is it something they can do themselves? Is it something they do through an agency? What, what are the sort of steps for them to actually get it in place? App ads.txt, uh, the, the further adoption of it will be driven by the buyer. And the small uh, buyer won't have that kind of influence to, to cause that, unfortunately. So it's really up to the trade bodies. It's really up to the trade bodies. It's up to the big uh, DSPs, uh, big agencies. It's up to the, you know, the Mark Pritchards of the world to demand this. Because the, one of the philosophies I've, I've had, and I talk about every presentation, is the most important stakeholder in this industry is the advertiser. It's their money that drives everything. It's their money that can disappear overnight. Uh, it's their money that pay all our salaries. And so uh, the, the buyer, what the buyer says will be followed, but you know, they, the buyer needs to understand what's at stake. They, and to be honest, they have their own 
uh, motivation for not changing things either when you get when you talk about marketers and budgets and hitting last year's budget and continuing to grow so it's very complex but uh, you know long story short it's the buyer that needs to drive it's the buy side Pubmatic, we're trying our best but at the same time there's there's a lot of dumb money out there on the buy side there's a lot of of advertisers and uh, you know DSPs they'll they'll put money wherever it's cheapest and that hurts the cause too and I think this comes back to one of the challenges of programmatic, and we touched upon it earlier on, um, which is that there's a big gap between planners and, and buyers. And, and planners, I think there's some sophisticated planning going on where they really see the benefit of quality over quantity. But then on the on the buying side within the agency, they really have this philosophy of, well, buying at huge volumes works. We, can, um, we know what our CTRs are. We've got various benchmarks. We're just going to go for volume over quality. And in the end, that's not beneficial to the uh, to the advertiser who really should be demanding they get that quality um, but if I could just come back to that that question about what the advertisers can do because it, it sounded a little bit like you were saying there that if you're a smaller advertiser there's not really much you can do you almost have to either sort of rely upon your industry body so I don't know so Federation of Advertisers or Advertisers Association or IPA IAB those kind of groups um, to lobby on your behalf um, rather than actually something you can go and demand from the way your agencies operate. Oh, one thing you can do is just make sure that you, you make it clear you only want to buy uh, authorized inventory. You know, that, that's something anyone can do. And that, that way there's, there's, there's switches, at, at, uh, there's controls at DSPs that you can set to authorized only, and you can make sure that uh, you know, your inventory is protected that way. Going back to kind of ad fraud again then, um, what would you say is the sort of current scale of the problem? Are there other um, examples like that which are coming now? Do you think, um, do you think we're sort of at, at the stage where we've managed to contain it or are there still uh, challenges coming down there, new types um, which you've, you've seen recently? That's a big question. It's a question, depends who you ask, how it's answered. And what I mean by that is if, if for example, it benefits you, uh, to say that there's less ad fraud, you can find data that shows that. Uh, but at the same time, if by understanding how non-transparent programmatic continues to be, there's so many opportunities to where the, the, the question of who benefits can be answered and, and, and it can, money can be made, uh, that that would, uh, you know, that would be the position of people who, people who think that enough hasn't been done, that there still needs a lot, there's still a lot of ad fraud out there. In terms of uh, where ad fraud is going, where the it just follows the money. So uh, mobile app uh, is, you know, that's growing like hotcakes. So that's going to get a lot of fraud. Uh, the next wave, the next frontier is still in early stages, but CTV, OTT has the same perfect storm setup in that you have so many of the ads being, you know, the ad pods, which are the groups of ads, like on TV, your commercial break, they're stitched together on a server uh, sort of somewhere else and then they're inserted as a whole pod into the into the stream and it's during this SSAI they're called the ads are stitched together and and that's in a server somewhere um, moreover uh, it can be spoofed so if people are buying if buyers think they're buying CTV ad space it could be ads coming from desktop, it could be ads coming from mobile, that because it's happening offline in, this, in the server space, you have no idea where the actual 
if it's a real person or not. Yeah, I guess that's the continual challenge is as advertisers and marketers, we're continually wanting to innovate and get new or access to new inventory like um, uh, OTT, that kind of thing. But it's a, in some ways, it's a wild west, isn't it? Yes, because it is. there's, there's very few standards. There's um, little understanding um, broadly around exactly how it works and how all the technology is patched together. So we're always going to be catching up. But of course, that's where I imagine the criminals are investing a lot of time because you can probably get higher CPMs in that area of the market. Um, and then also there's it's it's more leaky in terms of there being more gaps there. Absolutely. Yeah, and and the higher CPN is a great point because uh, CTV is being positioned as the you know, the evolution of linear and it's like the, it's it's on a TV therefore it should command more money etc. So that's that the dollars alone will attract the, the the bad actors. And then you add to it the leaky the leaky side of it the the hard the, the lack of standards. I mean, for example, a Roku app um, because Roku or channels because this was all developed before they even thought of television, have like two or three different IDs uh, that are, are uh, they're referenced to. And, uh, you know, which one do you use in, in programmatic? How is that standardized? Um, all these questions are still in the early stage. In fact, I was just at the Brand Safety Summit in New York. They are talking about OTT CTV. They read a definition by, I can't remember the group, but it was focused on the, the, the content-defined uh, CTV OTT. And then the IEB definition, it was uh, it was a more technical definition. It wasn't the content, but it was actually the execution of content, the device that went through, et cetera. And the marketer on the panel, uh, he said, it's just streaming. To me, OTT CTV is anything that's streamed that's not linear. Linear, and it's just you've got to get over. You got to sort all this, all these conflicts out. Otherwise, it's the perfect, like you said, Wild West where the fraudsters can continue to uh, take advantage of that while there's no standards, you know, no specs. It's all about transparency. It's, it's, it, if, you get, if you get a transparent supply chain where you know exactly where your ad is going. Right now, an advertiser buys an ad and they get a report on where the ad is showing. You know, with ads.txt, you've, you've, you've kind of got some confirmation that it probably showed up on the site that you thought it was, right? Uh, but you need more work to figure out, okay, where did it go between there? You need that full transparency, which is this new initiative, sellers.json supply chain object, uh, which um, does create this transparency. So what I think is that fraud, personally, is that when you have this type of transparency, there are few pl fewer places for fraudsters to take advantage of the lack of transparency, and therefore you'll see fraud fall. So this sounds like an interesting initiative, and I've heard the phrase supply chain optimization quite a lot recently now, a lot of people talking about it. Could you give us a bit of an overview of um, how this works and how the different industry players are coming together to um, work on this? Because it sounds like they are. Uh, SPO uh, arose from uh, you know a, a lack of efficiency in the marketplace. Part of it, a big chunk of it, was about pricing, right? Price transparency, about price efficiency. Uh, I think... Uh, Big agencies and big advertisers realize that, hey, I'm every you know every SSP, every DSP adds fees on top of this, and by the time I just order something, I, I buy something off the RTB. Who knows? I can't forecast what any of it is because it all has different sets of fees. Well, so SBO is trying to better understand the supply path that a buyer takes to the supply and trying to make better decisions instead of taking it just off the open market, which could. Uh, you know, involve uh, 30 SSPs on the path towards that inventory. You work with, with a smaller group of SSPs. You negotiate uh, um, efficiencies, which include, in my case, quality, uh, 
discussing quality, discussing quality parameters, what you're willing to buy, etc. And then you uh, only supply your um, your marketing needs through those uh, supply paths. So I've you know I've heard anecdotally some agencies or some brands go from 30 supply paths or 30 SSPs to only working with a small group of six, for example. So that creates a lot more efficiency. They understand uh, uh, where their dollars are going better. Uh, and, and that's what's driving that. Everyone would love to find an easy way to say it. Right now there is an S-chain as the current favorite, but the S-chain supply chain object is inserted in, in the bid stream. And every time that uh, a seller is passed on the way to a buyer, uh, information is inserted in the bid stream so you'll have nodes. So when the buyer gets the logs and they consume the logs, you'll see a node which represents a hop, which represents every intermediary in the chain and it's based on following the money so the the it's all it's not about quality per se it's not about just because something's an intermediary doesn't make it uh, something you should cut out but it does allow you to track where your money went and and the the names of these intermediaries is kept in a, a file called sellers.json which is sort of like the ads.txt but for ssps so pubmatic if you go to pubmatic.com sellers.json, you'll see a list of every seller that we have on our platform, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. So you've got the, the name, you've got the domain uh, of, the, of the publisher or the intermediary. You've got the information about is it an intermediary or a publisher, uh, and it's seller ID. So in, in, the, in the nodes, and I, I know this is horribly dry, but in the nodes, you pass that seller ID. So it's machine, it's only for machines. You, you, unless you absorb logs, unless you can look at the logs, all you'll see is the seller ID. But when you match it with the sellers.json, what you have is seller ID equals reseller123, and you see in that chain, reseller123, went to reseller12, went to Pubmatic, went to DSP, went to buyer. And when tools get made, and these are still under development, you can see probably pretty quickly if a chain is broken, you can see your supply, how many hops it went. You can see, okay, you could probably decide, there'll probably be controls with DSPs. I wanna limit my inventory to one hop only. In other words, only one intermediary or no intermediaries direct only. So that is the type of transparency uh, where before, you might have four or five hops between the New York Times and even Pubmatic, and we didn't even know about it. So it, that is, that's going to reduce fraud more than anything anybody, any of the fraud tech vendors out there can do. And who's using this at the moment? Is this quite limited use or is this um, widespread? Is it being supported by things like the IAB? Sure. No, great question. Right, The IAB Tech Lab uh, released the specs only a couple months ago. The first uh, adopter is the Trade Desk. They were very aggressive in, in, in saying, we are only going to buy from supply where the SEO is passed and where everyone has the sellers.json. So we, at Pubmatic, I've been scrambling for the last two months in, in making sure all our resellers, all our intermediaries, everyone who defines that, have sellers.json files, make sure everything's working, make sure the nodes are being correctly passed, et cetera. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's great. It, it, TDD is able to clearly see the supply path for their buyers and make better decisions about quality. Uh, and, uh, but right now, uh, it's it's just limited, right? It needs to be adopted broadly for it to have an impact on ad fraud, for example. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the trade desk. I mean, they're obviously one of the bigger players um, from a DSP side. So what, what, what 
what do you think the resistance is from other players to sort of get involved in these types of initiatives or are they doing their own sort of initiative alongside this in parallel? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, there, everybody has a, uh, an agenda, right? Even when we were trying to tell our intermediaries, if you want trade desk money, you have to implement this. And one of the first obstacles that were hit was in the, uh, you know, in, in our sellers.json, we have seller123 and they have their domain seller123.com and they're an intermediary as such they have to have their own sellers.json at reseller1.com slash sellers.json. And in there, they have to disclose all their partners. And the first resistance was, I don't want the competition to know. What in fact, that was Pubmatic's first thought. So we have to disclose all our partners. Not that we have anything to be ashamed of. It's just sort of, you just had a, a reflex like, this yeah. it feels so exposed. So that is one. Uh, there is an option to say partner is confidential, but Trade Desk says, well, if you have that, we're not buying anything which I think is the right decision because it, it becomes a solution for transparency that becomes non-transparent unless everyone plays along and you enforce it that way. Uh, the other objection I got from sellers was, will buyers treat every intermediary the same? In other words, if there's two paths to uh, the New York Times, one path has an intermediary and one doesn't, will they always just cut us off? because we're an intermediary. So, and I understood that objection. And in that case, there are cases, it's important that the buyer tr sees this as a, a money chain and not as a quality chain. So there's some intermediaries, for example, uh, Nine Australia, they sell MSN, they're an intermediary, but they're the only, they're, they're the only ones you can get MSN in Australia. They're the, they're the exclusive resellers of MSN for Australia. So if you cut them out, you're gonna lose a big, a buyer will lose a big chunk of valuable inventory. Uh, so it's important to keep that in mind. But so far, that's the objections we've come across. Uh, I, th I think it technically it's it's going to take a, a lot of heavy lifting for a short period of time, like it did for TDD and us. Uh, Google hasn't signed on to it yet. We have to treat uh, sellers.json a little bit differently for uh, exchange bidding because technically they're an intermediary, but since they're not playing along, um, uh, and TDD is not going to cut off Google. It has to be treated slightly different. So I think if you get Google to come on board, and I think everyone's going to come on board in 2020. Quality is progressive. It never goes backwards. It always goes forward. There's always challenges. But uh, just look at ads.txt, app ads.txt is doing today. Uh, Sellers.json SEO is doing great. And of course, the next step is some sort of ads.cert, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the really secure method of tracking inventory from source to buyer. I've heard various things muted around using maybe blockchain or some other type of uh, secure uh, platform to, to manage that whole process. But uh, who, who's sort of driving this? Uh, is it coming out of places like the IAB? I know they've got like a tech lab and they're pushing yes. all sort of initiatives. The IAB tech lab is probably the forefront of all of this. They've, they, the, the people serving on it, advisory, and actually the working groups are the the key product and engineering folks working on uh, quality initiatives at TDD, at Pubmatic, at Google, um, and, and they are they get things done quickly. It's very it is political to a certain extent, but they they achieved uh, you know for example the SEO seller.json they went from zero to to release in just a few months. But IAB Tech Lab has been very nimble. In, in terms of uh, pushing that. And I hear they're working on whatever that ads.cert solution's gonna be. You sit on a lot of different event panels, I'm sure, and go to a lot of conferences and they're talking to people in this field. What's your sense of how much commitment there is to solving this? I mean, clearly you're very passionate um, about solving this and I can you know, tell from all the initiatives you've outlined here, but 
would you say the industry as a whole is kind of committed to this now? And, and what's brought about that commitment? That's a great question. You know, I was at the Brand Safety Summit and the whole day there was there's some good panels and there's some bad sessions, but there is a huge focus on, on brand safety uh, that when you look in the big scheme of things is the brand safety concerns that have come up in the last few years are almost invariably linked to somebody who screenshots an ad for a big brand next to some hateful content or next to some, you know, beheading video. It's the media and the storm that comes out of that screenshot that freaks all the marketers out, right? But in reality, you know, people forget about that quickly. News cycle moves on. You know, ad fraud where it's happening is causing to your uh, figure you gave earlier, 30 million or 30 billion or even more that's, you know, getting chipped off the bottom line of these marketers. Uh, and in terms of the work being done, uh, is it's it's really tough because marketers want it gone. Um, third parties don't necessarily want ad fraud to disappear. They want to make sure that uh, the marketers um, have an ad fraud solution. Uh, and what drives me nuts is it, it ad fraud detection becomes it chips away at the the buyer's dollar. There's there's transaction fees happening here. You know the fraud tech vendors go to uh, the brands, the advertisers saying you need you need these reports to let you know what's going on. But they're also going to uh, the publisher saying, oh, you need you need our reports to know how bad your fraud is. They're going to the SSPs saying you need to have fraud detection on your platform, and they're getting pieces from each one of these. So I have I don't believe for a day that uh, fraud detection companies have the interests of our, uh, you know, our, our industry uh, in mind. They're about growth. They're corporations. You know, they're corporations. They want to grow. But the reality is the solution has to be something that everyone can understand, that everyone can act upon to, to do. For example, marketers, just know where your ad runs. Supply chain transparency. You get that. If you have, if you have, if there's nowhere to hide, fraud can't happen. If there's nowhere to, if you know where money changes hands at every point and fraud happens and you immediately know where the money changes hands, you can immediately do something about that. Um, you know, so it, to me, the solution is much more simple. Uh, and, and I think people make the problem much harder than it is. Because with 300 billion annually, everybody, even with a small part piece of the pie, has so much to lose if, uh, you know, certain parts get solved in certain ways. My personal opinion is that the next recession will clean everything out. I was, you know, I lived through the uh, uh, through the bubble, uh, dot com bubble, uh, the two thousand eight financial recession. We'll see, you know, twenty. I don't know the percentage. Consumer spending will drop like a off a cliff, like it does a recession. Recession. Digital market marketing in general will also get a big haircut. I think CEOs who are now uh, letting their CMOs take care of things all of a sudden with a lot of pressure on revenues and a lot of pressure on making quarters tell their CMOs, I want to know where every dollar is spent. And that's going to require the transparency that will solve, you know, solve our problems in the short term until the next run-up starts and who knows what problems will occur then. Every, every phase, every, every growing period has its own beast of growth that you have to contend with. Wow, well, I'm, I'm liking um, the bigger picture you've got us to look at there. So, you know, going back and thinking about the previous economic downturns mm -hmm. and the impact they had on cleansing the system and then sort of uh, suggesting that maybe actually that could be a good thing in the future at some point because it might clean this, drain this swamp that we've got at the moment. 
if we do drain the swamp to mix metaphors, what do you think will be left of, of what we've got today and all the way that the ad um, system works today? What's the What will be the good bits which will be left? For better or for worse, I think there'll be a flight to safe harbors, which include Facebook and Google. And for, for all the, you know, all the criticism they both get, Facebook had a great quarter. <laughs> uh, you know, advertisers feel safe going there, and, and because it's a, it's a, a you know, a, a walled garden with uh, first-party, um, you know, data, they feel comfortable. Now, for everyone else, programmatic will still survive, but I think the money will go to um, uh, partners and entities that are that have demonstrated tr- that are trusted and demonstrated. Um, you know this this commitment to quality and transparency, which is, you know, I told my my bosses, which are the founders of Pomatic, that's what I'm trying to do here is is continue to because Pomatic more than anywhere I've I've worked is really understands quality as a fundamental building block for longevity in this business, and so after that next recession, the the hope is that uh, you know Pomatic will be seen as one of these foundational trust safe harbor partners. But there's going to be a lot. There's going to just be like you said, a cleansing. Everyone from these sites that pop up that are that rely solely on uh, users and visitors they buy from other sources. Uh, they have no loyal audience, uh, but they're getting tons of money from programmatic because programmatic is, is is such a mess right now in terms of we're just trying to hit price, for example. We're not we're not worried about the the content as much as hitting the price. Uh, they'll all disappear, like we saw with ads.txt and appads.txt arbitragers in those cases disappeared. So you know, in the next recession, I think it'll be there just won't be enough money to go around. So, so decisions will have to be made, and and my hope is that they. They're, they're made on quality and uh, in the short term, let's not make the same mistake again. Let's learn from this. Thanks. Uh, and it's interesting, you, you mentioned about Facebook and Google there. Um, they're not immune to ad fraud, quite the opposite, that there is ad fraud that I think a lot of marketers know happens there. There's always discrepancies in some of the data between what they give us and what we actually see in our analytics. But in terms of looking at the publisher side of this mm-hmm. as well, because they're the other um, party in all of this that we haven't really discussed yep. yet, um, how do you think there will be differentiation between publishers and the Facebooks and Googles in the future? Will that be um, based upon who's got the better quality and things like um, quality inventory? I think it'll be based a lot on content. Um, you know, I th- no one's done this study, but I would love to see it. How many, if, if somebody could have a God's eye view and see how many ad impressions run through every DSP or every SSP, add them up and see how many trillions of people on earth that equates to. <laughs> Looking at 100,000 ads a day or a second or whatever. I think, if I'm surprised no one has done that. I think that would scare the, the crap out of everybody, right? It would show them that there is so much... Uh, you know, made up inventory out there that therefore their ads are showing again against content that either doesn't exist, it's completely fake, or content that's subpar that they would never want to confront their, you know, their boss that, hey, I've got an ad running here. Um, uh, so, you know, Facebook and Google, I think um, they have do, they have discrepancies. I mean, it's just, I, I think that's just, they have, they're not paying attention. I don't know. They're so big that I, I just don't see the benefit of them creating fraud on purpose. I think it just might be they're not paying attention. <laughs> it's just bad management. Um, and I think intuitively marketers, when the next recession happens, they'll understand that. They'll say, hey, if we go to Google or Facebook, 
you know, it's, it's a safe harbor because at least it's just one entity that controls it rather than, you know, programmatically where, you know, fraud could come in from any, any vector. Besides Facebook and Google, it'll be the well-known, well-established uh, uh, brands of publishers that, that quite honestly, CEOs and CMOs and the CEOs behind them recognize and will be happy to approve uh, spending money on. Uh, and I, I was reading an article recently, and you, you probably know about this more than I do, uh, but like the, the Times is already taking efforts to um, create contextual tags or do some sort of AI work on their own property so that for the, for the day when contextual becomes king, they're ready to go. So the big publishers will be good shape. I think they'll be better shape than they are now because they'll, they'll be the only trusted kid in town. I wonder whether there's an opportunity there actually for some of the smaller publisher um, networks or, or companies to uh, really sort of pioneer quality. So, you know, the bigger um, publishers you mentioned, you know, those yep. big groups, they often, um, whilst they're thinking about it, it takes quite a bit of time for them to initiate sure. these. But the smaller publishers, I wonder whether they can almost say, well, we are a quality inventory first publisher, come to us. The fact that somebody has heard of them will be enough. <laughs> there are, I see so many sites that are trying to come onto the Pubmatic platform that they have random names, their templated content, it's all smoke and mirrors, and they'll be gone overnight. So if you're a smaller publisher now, you don't have, it's hard to compete with all that because people don't understand that you're different than these virally fakey sites. But when, uh, when you know, after a recession, after the, you know, the, the flight to safety with the Google and Facebook and to the New York Times and big well sites, you're going to want to scale. And it's these... Uh, these these sites that you talked about who can group together who are who have real humans who can prove it real uh, users loyal users they'll they, they'll be the next uh, the next layer to get the dollars. Hmm. And interesting something you said there as well, which is real humans and being able to yeah. prove it. And I think there's an interesting um, area there around being able to prove humanity. Um, have you seen anything that's caught your eye uh, around technologies that allow um, uh, well, advertisers to know that the person or the thing which is clicking or viewing their ad is actually a real human? No, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, one thing I did recently, there's an article, I think it was The Atlantic almost a year ago, uh, called uh, the inversion, the great inversion, and 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 the the theory being that uh, you know now over fifty percent of of traffic on the internet are bots. <laughs> so and I I take this back to ad fraud detection. You know fraud detection when it first started, let's say there were five percent bots on the internet. Data science and that approach made perfect sense because you were looking for the anomalies that were not human, and if it's only five percent bots, it's uh, you know anything totally simplistic of me, but if it's, if you've got 95% of activity looks the same and 5% looks odd as you cut it different ways, that's, you can call that bots. But what happens when more than 50% is bots? It seems to me that whole thing breaks down. It seems to me that, uh, you know, the, 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 the approach to the fraud detection uh, is really up to question because how do you tell humans when you're already doing it on a data science you know, heuristic analysis, trying to figure out the probability of being human or, or bot, when it's half and half, I mean, it's a coin flip. So to your point, on something that can identify someone as human, I mean, you know, bots can defeat CAPTCHAs, bots can, the only thing they can't do, and even I've heard that there's cases of this, they can't buy something, credit card transaction, because it costs them money, right? That's where direct marketers have a huge advantage here. If they, if they can end in a sale between a consumer, a 
credit card transaction and their product, then they can back that out and make great decisions, marketing decisions. The brands have a harder time because they don't have that true ROI. So that's something that a bot can't do. I don't think I don't think they would because it would cost them money. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, real money. Great. Well, Eric, we're going to have to start to wrap things up there, but um, we've covered a lot of grounds and um, we've, we've talked about so many different aspects of ad fraud. Just as a, a closing thought, I wondered whether there's one thing, whether that be a piece of advice or something that you're particularly excited about um, in the near future that you'd like to share with our audience uh, just to kind of wrap things up. Well, I, I think the, the biggest thing would be the trans, transparency standardization of ads.txt, appads.txt, SEO, sellers.json. If this were widely adopted, adopted, you it would solve so many problems because buyers couldn't either, couldn't, if they see cheap CPMs, they could see, okay, it's, become, it's going through seven intermediaries on the way to the, you know, on the way to the inventory source. And if, if they see that and everyone else sees that, would they make the same decision knowing that everyone else sees that? Or would they say, oh, you know what? Maybe I should think about quality here instead of taking the cheapest CPM every time. And if you had that, that would change decisions, decision making uh, across the board. I think it would be, it would. It, I think that would be the biggest thing to happen in our ecosystem in terms of quality in a long time. And, and to be fair, fraud will still occur, and fraud tech should be will be used like it should be used as a tool, not as an end game, not as a report that an agency uses to as insurance that, oh, I've, I've got a fraud tech report. Check the box. It's taken care of. But as a tool, like if you find pockets of fraud, this is what I do. If I find pockets of fraud that I can't explain, I need to dig in and see. Okay, it's not explained by this, by this. But that that was a tool that brought that up. Now I may eventually, I may eventually just uh, not. If they say if they say New York Times 100% fraud, and I find there's nothing. Now I'm just going to just swat that away. But it, it it does bring up the pockets of of areas that need to be looked at. But that is the world that I would love to see that fraud tech just brings, just clears the corners and doors. Most of everything is, is, is well lit, but when you move through that door, you got to clear the doors and you got to check the corners um, that are always going to be a little dark. But that's where, you know, that's what I, I, I'd like to get to. And Eric, we're going to have to draw things to a close there. Thank you so much for sharing your insight with us. It's been fascinating to learn all about ad fraud and hear how it continues to be a big challenge for our industry. And whilst it's a big subject, you've helped us understand the technical and the commercial challenges. And we know that as marketers, our role is to hold our agencies to account, demanding that transparency. We've heard how if we make the advertising buying process more transparent, then we can all benefit. And hopefully it won't take a recession to make the industry players commit to making those necessary changes. We hear a lot of industry speakers saying they will address the issue from the stage. So it's been good to hear today what's actually happening behind those scenes to clean up and clear out the online advertising buying process. It's been great to have you here today. Thank you for sharing your insights and expertise with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Find more episodes at clickz.com forward slash podcasts or follow me on Twitter at Tim for Change. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with ClickZ and don't forget to review us on iTunes and Stitcher. ClickZ, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, providing best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 300,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. Thank you for listening and bye for now.